0: Hey diddle diddle to my people in the middle, we gotta stay cool, it's getting hotter than a griddle, the Fed's talking tougher, gains are getting rougher to come by, oh my, there goes the 10-year, yield is popping, ain't no stopping, rates from rising, not surprising when inflation's cooking at a 40-year high, and risky assets are falling from the sky, and the yield curve says a recession is nigh, and corporate profits are about to slide, nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide, but just when it seems there's no way out of this mess, a little perspective can reduce our stress. Some patience, some research, and a little finesse, that's what you'll find on the Investopedia express make that three straight weeks of losses for the s&p 500 and the nasdaq as the drumbeat of rising rates stubborn inflation and the ongoing war in ukraine is rattling investors tougher talk from the fed last week on the need to be more aggressive with future rate hikes weighed on sentiment as investors ran for cover in treasury bonds sending yields ever higher The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury note climbed to 2.71% on Friday, the highest in more than three years, and the 2-year yield climbed to 2.51% to wrap up its biggest five-week yield gain since May of 1987. The market is now pricing in a greater than 60% probability of a 3.25% Fed funds rate by next June. If that happens, this would be the highest Fed funds rate since January of 2008. Those rising Treasury yields and increasingly hawkish cries from the Fed have triggered recession concerns, and we're starting. Starting to see them play out inside the stock market. The Dow transports, which are traditionally considered to be a leading indicator for economic growth, have cratered ten percent in the past five trading days and are now lagging the Dow industrials by four percent this year. As Charlie Dow, the co founder of the Dow Jones indices and the godfather of Dow Theory taught us more than a hundred years ago, the market is in an upward trend if one of its averages, the industrials or transportation, advances above a previous important high and is accompanied or followed by a similar advance in the other. Their average. That's not happening right now inside the U.S. stock market. What have I ever done to make you treat me so Not that Godfather, but all due respect on Vito. Outside of the stock market on Main Street, USA, consumers are feeling the ripple effects of those rising rates. Mortgage rates on the 30-year fixed hit 4.8%. A median US household now needs 34.2% of gross income to make that monthly payment, up from 29% a year ago. A five-year loan on a new car is 4.2%. That's up from 3.6% in January. And average credit card APRs are ticking up as well, hitting 16.4% last week on average. That's up a little bit from January. Back in Inside the capital markets, the first quarter was a tough time to be a balanced and diversified investor. A 60-40 portfolio, 60 stocks, 40 bonds, was down 5.3% in the first quarter. That's the bad news. The good news, according to Ryan Dietrich at LPL Finance, the past five times it was down 5% or more saw pretty strong gains the following quarter. Could that be a sign of a bottoming and stabilization for U.S. markets? Here are a couple of other reasons it could be a lot worse for equity investors. Real yields on government bonds are still negative. Real yields are what investors receive on U.S. government bonds after accounting for inflation. Despite the steep rise in treasury yields this year, so-called real interest rates are still fairly low. For now, that is provided Providing support for the economy, and an incentive for investors to keep seeking returns in riskier assets. The yield on the five-year Treasury inflation-protected securities, a benchmark gauge of real interest rates over the next half decade, clocked in at a minus 0.6%, according to TradeWeb. That was up from about minus 1.6% at the end of last year, but still well below the 1% level it reached in 2018. And retail investors are still willing to buy the dip and take walks on the wild side, especially in the options market. Demand for bullish call options that are out of the money or far from currently paying out recently hit the highest level since early 2021, according to Vanda Research. Bets on meme stocks and high-flying tech stocks such as NVIDIA, Tesla, and advanced micro devices are particularly popular. And corporate earnings may surprise us as U.S. companies deliver their first quarter report cards over the next few weeks. Earnings among companies in the S&P 500 are expected to have increased 4.5% from the same period a year ago. Although that will be a big drop from prior quarters, it's generally in line with the median growth rate since the first quarter of 2012, and companies love to deliver upside surprises. U.S. companies may also have been able to navigate soaring inflation by raising prices, and so far, consumers have hung in there. According to facts the estimated net profit margin for S&P 500 companies is 12.1% the first quarter, higher than the five-year average of 11.2%. We'll see if that holds up. April is Financial Literacy Month, even though every month is Financial Literacy Month here at Investopedia. Well, we just released the results of a nationwide survey on financial literacy, where we wanted to learn more about who's invested, what they own, what their expectations are for growing their wealth and their returns, and how Americans are learning about investing and managing their money. There are so many fascinating results from that survey to dissect, but let me throw a few highlights your way. 57% of U.S. adults are invested in the capital markets, actively or passively through retirement accounts. Less than one-third of respondents say they have advanced knowledge of investing. The most widely held assets, stocks, and cryptocurrency. Who owns crypto? a lot of us apparently. Among Gen Z respondents, 23%. Millennials, 38%. Gen X, my generation, 28 percent. Boomers, not so much, just 6 percent. 28 percent of millennials expect crypto to help fund their retirement, yet 49 percent only have a beginner's knowledge of cryptocurrency. You see the disconnect there? Well, what about retirement? We asked at what age people expect to stop working and the younger the respondent, the sooner they expect to retire. Boomers, they're going to work to 68. Gen X, my generation, 64 years old. Millennials, 61. And Gen Z, 57 years old. What are they going to do with all that time once they punch out? Hopefully, they'll find a way to save the planet. And what financial skills do Americans want to learn about, according to the survey? Gen Z, they want to learn how to do their taxes. Millennials, they want to learn how to build their credit score. Gen X wants to learn how to save for retirement. And boomers, they want to make their info safer online. It's a fascinating survey and a couple of things are pretty clear. It's a new era for investing and the rise of the retail investor and the fascination and expectations for cryptocurrency require a whole new way of teaching and learning about investing. We are committed to that here at Investopedia, so be sure to check out all the financial literacy resources we have on the site and we're hosting Ask Us Anything learning sessions on our Instagram channel every Friday at noon Eastern time. Watch them live or on demand at Investopedia on the gram. Let's get set up for a very busy week ahead and bring on the earnings reports for the first quarter. We're going to hear from big banks this week, including J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, and Wells Fargo, among others. We want to see what the real impact of rising rates is having on banks' net interest margins, the money they bank after loaning it to us. They'll also give us their outlooks on spending, economic growth, investment banking, and trading. All of those are slowing compared to last year. But by how much? On the economic front on Tuesday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics will release its March Consumer Price Index, the CPI, with the latest update on inflation followed by the producer price index on Wednesday. The annual rate of consumer inflation is set to climb to 8.3% up from 7.9% in February as the cost of goods and services keep on rising. What impact is that having on consumer sentiment? We're going to find out on Thursday with the preliminary April reading for the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. Remember, last month the index dropped to its lowest reading since 2011. How's that impacting spending? We're going to find out on Thursday when the U.S. Census Bureau will report monthly retail sales. For March. Some of the smartest, most engaging content about finance and investing is happening away from traditional media outlets. Don't act so surprised. We do our best around here. But over the past few years, several important new voices have emerged around the financial media bubble and they are building large followings organically. You've heard from many of them on The Express before, Earn Your Leisure, The Wall Street Trapper. Morgan Housel. Well, Kyla Scanlon is another rising star in that galaxy, but she didn't just get here. She's been trading and blogging for years, but she's expanded her content platforms on Instagram, TikTok, her podcast, and her Substack, where she has hundreds of thousands of followers. You want to learn about Roblox and the creator economy? Follow Kyla. You want to understand the Fed and interest rates in a way that actually matters to the way you live? Follow Kyla. You want to know about the meaning of the metaverse? You know what to do follow Kyla. And you know what we did? We brought Kyla onto the express all the way from beautiful Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Kyla. So good to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Super happy to be here. Well,
0: let's start at the very beginning or close to it. You've been trading options and you were trading options since you were a teenager. What got you into options and how did you learn and and what were your first days like when you you got into the options trading universe?
1: Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was just something that I could do over the summer. Uh, I just really wanted to explore that because I didn't know a whole lot about money and it seemed like a cool thing to do. So I used tastytrade.com and I went through a learning course and was able to trade through my broker by like going through this course, right? Because you're not supposed to do it under a certain age. And so that's what I did. And I was really bad at it, just absolutely horrendous. (laughs) But I learned a lot through throwing a little bit of money at it and just trying to figure out how the market worked. And so that was my first foray into the financial universe, which I, I don't really recommend that people do it, you know, sort of backwards like that, but it was definitely an interesting learning experience.
0: Yeah. You just jumped right over equities, right over index funds and ETFs. You didn't tiptoe your way in. You jumped into the hottest part of the frying pan to do that. Were you a math person? What Was it about options that got you so interested?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just more about like the mechanics of it. My dad would talk about it a little bit. He was kind of, you know, dads are sometimes into that kind of stuff. And so I was like, this seems like a cool thing to learn about. And I really was fascinated by it. I was never like a math brain kid. I was always a a reader, a big writer. So it wasn't that I was drawn to it because of the pure mathematics behind it, but definitely found that part fascinating too.
0: Well, you started blogging about your trading, which really set the foundation for all the content you're producing today. How would you describe what you do today? What do you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like a brief background on the blog, I started that back in college. So a blog on options trading, it was called Scanlon on Stocks. And I wrote for Seeking Alpha in college and sort of had to stop all that once I worked for a capital group after I graduated school, but kept up the blog in the meantime. So, so now how I would describe what I do is sort of a synthesizer, a curator. I don't really like saying content creator, <laughs> which I think is what how most people would describe me. But I have a Substack that I publish once a week. And I talk about everything from wheat prices to oil prices to the Fed's decisions. And then I have a daily TikTok. Where I try to break down different concepts around, like the yield curve or what Brainerd spoke about, one of the members of the Federal Reserve. And then I also have a YouTube channel where I do longer form videos on the stock market. And then I also do a lot of different things on Twitter, on Instagram, and then TikTok. Yeah. So just try to uh, be everywhere. I have a podcast as well. That's basically my clipped audio. Uh, the main goal is just to help more people understand what's going on in the financial universe and to break it down in such an interesting way or hopefully interesting way, hopefully unique way, because I feel like there's not enough, art made about finance, and and hopefully that's something that I'm helping to, to fill the gap in.
0: Hey, man, we're birds of a feather there. I'm an art major who turned into the editor-in-chief of Investopedia, so I got no business being here either, but I try to try to do some storytelling around it. So you're a puzzle solver also. You're ragingly curious. What piques your curiosity these days about investor behavior, especially over the past year or so? It's been a very strange time.
1: <laughs> How much time do you have? I feel like we could talk forever about all the weird stuff that's happening. I think the meme stonks are really interesting to me. And especially now that they're upticking again, I found this like safe haven thesis around meme stonks where people seem to be going towards them in times of like uncertainty because they're like, these seem safe and good. And that's really confusing to me. I don't quite understand the whole GME AMC interest. Um, So I think that's something that's interesting. And then also just how the stock market is responding to this broader uncertainty narrative. It seems like everything the Fed says, the stock market is like, that sounds good to us. And it continues continues to go up. And so the the big question for me is, is there a bubble and is the bubble going to pop or is it just kind of chug along like this for the next little bit?
0: Let's talk about consumers because I know you write a lot about them. U.S. consumers, since you and I are among them, Americans love to spend, Kylie. You know that. We've been doing a pretty good job of it, even amid raging inflation. As a market and economic philosopher, if you will, what is it about our spending resiliency that fascinates you?
1: I think a lot of people try to compare this to 2008, and I do think that you have a different consumer. Like wage growth hasn't matched inflation, right? But most consumers theoretically are, are better off than they were previously. So I think that people are pretty resilient, as you said, right now, like you see people spending on cruises, uh, they're still planning out vacations. There doesn't seem to be a big pullback in the amount of spending that the consumer is doing. And I think like broadly speaking, the consumer is relatively healthy. Like you see that in the applications for houses, even though it's you know, those applications have gone down because rates have gone up, but you do see like better credit worthiness for from housing applicants. So I think that like consumers are just out there to spend. I'm not sure if it's this is something I've also been thinking about like is it a sense of financial nihilism where it's kind of like I just have to spend money and this is just how it is or do consumers actually have like this excess savings? The savings rate has declined, but it's not Terrible. People are doing relatively okay. But are they doing super okay? I don't think so.
0: I don't either. I do think there's
1: some revenge spending going on out there. You can't deny that. I'm guilty of it as well. What I've noticed is that people really like to have nice things. Like I think that we have this sort of like showy social media society. And if you want to keep up with the Joneses and literally everybody is the Joneses right now, you kind of have to spend because we're just so chronically online. So I think that that's a Of a driving force of that as well.
0: Guilty as charged as well. I know I've done some of that too, but these sometimes do not end very well. Well, Kyla, we're in April, which is financial literacy month around these parts, although at Investopedia and on your blog and on your uh, TikTok, it's always financial literacy month. But you've written about how we need to pare down financial literacy and improve it, not expand it. What's wrong with financial literacy today? What are you doing to try to change
1: it? I think it was Simon Sarris that said this about financial literacy that maybe we should think about what we can make better versus trying to add more things to it. So the way that I think about it is like, it has to be almost entertaining. And that's not the best thing ever to say, right? Because like our brains are already melting because of TikTok. But I think that you have to make stuff a little bit more engaging and you have to make it applicable. So like the way that I think about it is if I can get people to pay attention and the way that you get people to pay attention is by making fun of something or like memeifying it a little bit, then you can sort of send them down a rabbit hole. So that's my goal right now is to be a little bit more top of funnel for people and then and if they show, show interest in different concepts, like hopefully they'll look that stuff up. Ideally, like as I continue to build out my own like financial education concept and, and company, the, the goal would be to sort of take not necessarily gamify it, but just think about how we can have people apply these concepts into things that they already know about. Right? So, like, how can you sort of build your financial model of the world in your head relative to things that you already do? So, like, everybody goes and spends money at Starbucks, right, or Costco, or whatever, and I think if people were able to see the path of how the money that they spend at Starbucks or Costco sort of reverberates down the Costco-Starbucks supply chain. So like you spend money on a coffee that coffee was made with beans that that money pays a worker that money pays for the beans and then all of that goes up into like corporate headquarters all that stuff like i think that we need to do more visualization around the systems that we exist in because everybody is an economic entity and i think that the biggest issue with financial literacy is that we oftentimes treat people as is like oh this is something that's separate than you and it's like optional for you to learn about but really like you're a part of it right and so i think uh, we just have to make people feel more welcomed in the way that you can do that is be like hey like you're you're doing it. like You're already doing it. Just here's some extra knowledge about like what you're already doing.
0: You're a market participant or you're an economic participant, whether you know it or not. The two pe- things people don't like talking about, as you know, Kyla, their health and their money. But those are kind of the two things that stress us out the most or that can have the biggest impact on our life. So I love what you're doing. I can't wait to see what you're building. You started trading options at a pretty young age. You jumped right into the hot part of the frying pan, as I said. What attracted you to options and what have you learned by trading that has helped you in other aspects of your life?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was just like confusing. So I grew up in Kentucky, was fascinated by the idea of getting out of Kentucky, figured that if I understood the concept of money, that ideally you could sort of build a path out of there. And with the options, I was more fascinated by like what it meant relative to, to like the Greeks and things like that. So like, what does a Delta mean? What does a Gamma mean? Like, how does all of that work? Like there's so much, Mechanical math sometimes behind finance that's and like finance can like a stock can sometimes see it as something that like doesn't make sense. Like why is Tesla going up? Who knows, but like Tesla's option market is so much more mechanical and it like makes so much more sense because it has to. So I think like that was sort of interesting to me was the how it all interacted, like the ecosystem of the options market was really really fascinating.
0: We just wrapped up our financial literacy survey. We've put it out there for folks to see. One of the things it shows, Kyla, is that 30% of Gen Z and millennials own cryptocurrency and a large percentage of them are counting on crypto to help fund their retirement and they're planning on retiring younger than older generations. Now, this is a big generalization. It's a big survey that we did. But what's your reaction to that? Wow,
1: I mean, no, that's great. I own crypto, huge fan of crypto in some aspects. Uh, I definitely have qualms with it too, which I think it's healthy to not to have a balanced take on things like that. But that's good. I think that Gen Z, which I'm like an older Gen Z, I think that it's good that they're interested in crypto because it, it's going to be the future of something, right? Like I think it has a big part of how we think about uh, you know future interactions, the future of money. Like I do think that. If the Fed ever figures out the CBDC situation, that would be really beneficial. And I think that there's a lot that they can learn from the crypto universe from that. With regards to retiring, that's something I have a little bit of a thing with because I think a lot of people see crypto as a way to get rich quick, which, like, sure, and a lot of people have. But I also think that is not the healthiest mindset to have with certain things. And that, that might sound preachy, but I just think that if you're going into something to try and make a lot of money off of it, you oftentimes miss the beauty of it. And then if you don't get rich, you get frustrated. And then you just end up like washing your hands entirely of the situation. So not the biggest fan of that concept. I'm not sure if that's what they meant, but... I do think it's very exciting that there's interest in, in people are purchasing crypto.
0: There's a lot of interest. It's one of our most popular subjects here at Investopedia. We get questions about it all the time and we're constantly learning about it too, but I don't disagree with you. In some form or another, digital currency is our future and maybe the Fed here needs to take a field trip over to El Salvador and see how things are going there now that they made it legal tender. So it's so fascinating. Which investors, Kyla, or economists or financial influencers influence you?
1: A lot of people, like a lot of people on Twitter I just learned so much from. Like, I was having a conversation, which is crazy, with the Odd Lots podcast. So, Tracy Alloway and Joe Weisenthal. And I was, we were just chatting a little bit in, in the comments on Twitter. And they're a huge influence to me. And I think they do a great job breaking down macroeconomic concepts. And they're always so on the ball with like everything that they talk about. And I, I just learned a ton from them. And then Corey Hoffenstein, I think that's how you say his last name. He's really great. Then Ben, who, who specializes in volatility, the whole indie ETF crew. So like Perth Toll, the guys over at ETF Exchange, all those people I learn a ton from, the the Roundhill crew. I mean, there's so many people. And then like fellow finance creators, I learn a ton from Kayla Kilbride, from Zaid Admani, and then Dan Toomey. We all have like a little group chat where we kind of talk about stuff. And so that's really helpful. And yeah, but I would say Twitter is where I I learned the most. And then I am able to like have a lot of different... Threads going on there, not like in terms of who I'm talking to, but just different people that I read. So I, I can't even name them all. So I'm so lucky because of that. Like there's so many people, uh, which is which is great.
0: Yeah, I hear you, and folks, we're gonna list some of those folks in the show notes here. But I follow some of the same people. And I'll tell you what, Twitter takes its knocks for some things. One thing it's really good at is connecting the financial community. The FinTwick community is amazing. That's how Kyla and I know each other. And that's how I know a lot of the friends that I've met over the years. So valuable. Kyla, let's do a lightning round. Three questions, quick questions, 10 second responses each. Shoot right from the hip. No time to think. I'm just going to blast you and you blast right back. Are you ready? Uh, I hope so. (laughs) Me too. Elon Musk and Twitter, 10 second reaction.
1: Oh, that's he refiled his form. That's SEC division of Elon Musk. I'm sure is super happy with him right now.
0: (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. He and the SEC just love each other. They're getting together for the holidays. I can't wait to be there for that. AMC Entertainment buys a gold mine. Your reaction?
1: Uh, Berkshire Hathaway of meme songs.
0: Great one. And I will be with the Berkshire Hathaway crew in early May for their annual meeting. We're going to want to talk to them about that as well. Okay, last one, since you mentioned Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger
1: they keep on going. I'm impressed. Longevity.
0: Absolutely. Longevity in their 90s, still doing the thing and and doesn't seem like they're ever going to slow down. I'm looking forward to seeing them next month. All right, Kylie, you know that we are a site built on our investing terms. So many people come to us to learn about those terms and find definitions for stuff. What's your favorite investing term and why? What's the one that speaks to your soul?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, right. The the word that came to mind immediately was was inflation, right? So decline in purchasing power. I think that's like a misunderstood one almost. And it's so important. I think that there was a survey that came out saying that that's the thing that people worry the most about. And I think that a lot of people don't even fundamentally understand what it means. So that's, that's probably my favorite definition. And I go to the Investopedia page a lot. To read about it. So yeah, that's my favorite
0: one. You're the one. Thanks for coming by. Man. We appreciate that. <laughs> I'm
1: the clicks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's a lot of clicks. You must be on that page a lot. So we appreciate that. But I, I hear you. That is term of the moment right now. in our latest sentiment survey, that is issue number one, concern number one. And a lot of the other things that are going on are contributing to inflation. So no matter what, you can't get away from it. Such a pleasure to meet you. Kyla Scanlon, folks, follow her, Kyla Scan on TikTok, Kyla Scanlon everywhere else on Instagram, on Twitter. Check out the substack. There are so many interesting articles and things to read about there. I just kept going through it and kept finding things that piqued my interest. Really good to meet you. And thanks so much for joining The Express. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week. And this week's term comes to us from Pat in Chillicothe, Illinois, right there on the Illinois River in lovely Peoria County. Pat suggests treasury inflation protected bonds or securities. We like to call them tips around here. Tips are a type of treasury security issued by the U.S. government. Tips are indexed to inflation in order to protect investors from a decline in the purchasing power of their money. As inflation rises, rather than their yields increasing, tips instead adjust in price, the principal amount, in order to maintain their real value. Heading into 2022, Funds focused on Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities, or TIPS as we call them, were among the top-performing asset classes as worries about inflation surged. Then, as the Federal Reserve shifted into inflation-fighting mode, those fears began to fade, and TIPS' performance cooled down too. But then Russia invaded Ukraine, sending energy and other commodity prices soaring. That drove investors back into TIPS to offset losses elsewhere in the bond market. Since February 10th, the average inflation-protected bond has risen 1.2%, while the average intermediate core bond fund has fallen nearly four percent tips generally outperform normal treasury securities when inflation is trending higher than expected if inflation starts to cool given rising interest rates tips should follow good suggestion pat we're sending you some silky smooth investopedia socks for your next walk along the illinois river we're going to let Warren Buffett take us out this week. The 91-year-old Oracle of Omaha is always full of great witticisms and advice for investors. But I dug up one of his very first TV interviews from the year 1985. Here's Warren Buffett on a show called Adam Smith's Money World. Warren, what do you consider the most important quality for an investment manager? It's a temperamental quality, not an intellectual quality. You don't need tons of IQ in this business. I mean, you have to have enough IQ to get from here to downtown Omaha, but... Uh, but. Uh, You do not have to be able to play three-dimensional chess or be in the top leagues in terms of bridge playing or something of the sort. You need a stable personality. You need a temperament that neither derives great pleasure from being with the crowd or against the crowd. Because this is not a business
1: where you take polls. It's a business where you think.
0: It's about temperament and Buffett has always been a cool customer. I'll be heading down to Omaha at the end of the month for Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting. It's been a long time since I went to what used to be called Woodstock for capitalists and I'll be taking the express there with me. So stay tuned for that in early May. And let's all keep our cool this week and always. Special thanks to Kyla Scanlon for joining us and to all of you for listening. We'll talk again a little further on down the line.